When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. It's not a movie history show. Yes. Just at what do movies mean to me show. Yeah, I think people, there's always, I'm trying. I keep working on the the email that goes out because I try to, you know, read this as somebody who's not, you know, I, already in. I've always used that same email and it seems to Yeah, work. but it's like, I, there's always that element of like, uh, you, you want to make it really clear that we're not going to be going, you know, get to your list. You're not going to go, really? No wells? Really? <laughs> yeah. you're, not, you're not serious, yeah, are you? It's just, it's true myself. I listen, I listen to two very, very good ones, Richard Stanley and Thomas Jane. And they both, oh, oh, well, Thomas Jane is the one I never like. If people are interested in hearing a sample episode, I never said the Tom's because he, I don't think anybody has done so much legwork before him. He's really, you know, he's really, really far more versed than you think. I had a meeting at his house. Oh, no, he's and great. I, yeah, I've been there. I've I'd literally just watched the five, you know, the new five set, the Bud Bodica set mm-hmm. that came yes. out. And oh. I, I, I hadn't seen these movies before. And it was, like a light, it was like, oh, my yeah. God, this is exactly what I want to be making. You know, that he went out into the desert with hardly any money, used yeah. five, yeah. six, seven yes. actors each time. Yes. Really, really smart. And so I was riding this wave of sort of, you know, I thought I knew all about Bud Bodica. No one knew, knew about him. And I, I started chatting with him. And I'll be Fucked, he knew everything. He he he, had, he knew it off the cuff about this mm-hmm. director that, that sort of fairly obscure by today's standards. He yeah, wasn't yeah. obviously, and there's obviously a lot of aficionados who adore his work. But it, I was so impressed. We talked for probably an hour and a half, and it, was, yeah. it ended up being one of my most favorite sort of actor meetings, you know, because yeah, normally you normally find yourself with a, you know, strained smile by the end of it, and you're, you know, <laughs> trying to work out where your your interests coincide with theirs. But it was pretty fun. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. And, and but I mean, you you play that episode for somebody, and they're just like, I can't do that. I'm not coming on your show. Yeah, because <laughs> he broke down. He did bios of the actors. It was an amazing really, really episode. Good. And that's one of my favorite sort of genres as well, the French crime film. I mean, yeah, you know, was, I went to France to to read up on it. I loved it. What I love about it is, I think. Because I'm from England, mm-hmm. I desperately wanted to be American growing up, and so all that. In, and I feel the same way that Jean, I think Jean Pierre Melville did as well. I never came to America, but desperately, you know, wore a cowboy hat, drove right. a Ford Mustang, and it's like, I get you, I get you, I get what you're trying to do. You know, you're you're so in love with these movies, but you're and you're basically trying to make an American gangster movie in Paris. You know, yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, but it, but I was very intimidated. It was very good. Yeah, no, that, that's I, I I am sorry for that. No, the whole the whole thing is we want to get people. You guys are awesome, anyway. So. Talk about the stuff that matters to them, the way they think about them. That's the whole. It's it's like I don't know. I just feel like I never listen to interviews with filmmakers. I mean, I just I've just gotten so bored by them. Unless it's 
but the filmmakers themselves are bored by it. Exactly. That's the whole thing. That's the whole <laughs> no, thing. And it's like it's, I, it's a strange thing. But then you then I get addicted to the you know the, the awful you you know which supposed to be writing and you've got your computer out you do a bit of research and suddenly you find yourself on YouTube. I'll watch so many interviews with filmmakers, really? but they're usually dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just found one last night. It's the only Aldrich interview, Robert Aldrich interview that I that's actually in picture, and it's it's called mm. about directors. It's him and uh, Alan uh, uh, Richard Brooks is also on it, but they're interviews that I haven't seen before, and it was so exciting to, because I've been searching for Aldrich. Well, what's remarkable about, about this era and about YouTube is that all this material that you thought was gone forever or never knew existed uh, is now available to see. I mean, yeah. there are there are episodes of TV shows that that have been you know. It just lost to people's memories for decades and decades, yeah. and now all of a sudden there they are back again. In variety it's shows, so particularly performances it's, by it's famous so people, and it's you know there's there's issues with it as well, isn't it? When you see your heroes speak, uh, I remember being obsessed with Ilya Kazan. I think it was on the waterfront oh. that got me, and I was just just <clears throat> it was like what what is this? It's an action film, but it's pulled my heart out of my chest, and. Uh, so I obsessed on finding interviews with him, and I found them. At, it was this was back twenty years ago. So this was was it Vidiots mm -hmm. that used to be on, yes, and I, I found I found the interviews there. And he's really not a very good interview at all. He's really bad interview, uh, and, and it's and it's like, oh my lord, this guy's an absolute egocentric maniac. Well, you know, <laughs> and, he's, a, and, he's a film director. I didn't ever read the books about Frank Capra. Exactly. Yeah, the new one, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but there's a thing. I think I've talked Joe, about this. Joe, Joseph McBride. Joe McBride. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't talked about this. He's, he's done two. Right. And this last one, it's a little they more... tried to keep him from, public, from publishing. Yeah. Because they were afraid to tarnish the legend. Well, oh, the legend no. is the legend. You know, the movies are already there. They're, they're, they're there. You know, and yeah. if it turns out that the guy had feet of clay or he was insincere or became a right winger or whatever it is, that doesn't, that doesn't change what those movies mean to be. I did love the first one. Name, name Above the Title, that was one of yeah. the, you know, it was an instrumental film for me. And I think it was when I directed my first film. And I remember being very upset by the fact that Capra got 10 grand as his paycheck for his first film. And I was getting 10 grand for my first film. And he was <laughs> You're in good company. And I was, pretty, you know, it was like, something's, something's just way off here. But what was Capra's first film? It was a silent. It was, it was a silent. yeah. It was something for uh, either Max Senate, I think he started oh, wow. with, and he said it was a. <coughs> now we're getting into. It. And it, yours, I assume, had sound though. Mine had sound. Yeah. Well, sound. there you are. That's yeah. that's all the money. Lots of fake blood. Um, I guess we should. Should we? Are we? Like, we have been up and running, right? Um, we're here with with uh, director Jesse Johnson, who has uh, done a bunch of movies. Um, how do I, if I mischaracterize this, smack me and I'll cut it. Cause I, I'm, you're here cause I, I love your work and it's just, but, but there's this whole, I don't even know what it is anymore. In, in the seventies, they'd be, you know, your movies would probably be in the best way possible, uh, really good drive-in movies. And in the eighties to nineties, they'd be really good kind of straight to DVD movies. Now they're in this. What they are now, VOD, I, don't know what they are. I think they call it. But there's so much fun to find when they, yeah. when they pop up uh, available on, on Netflix or what have you, but there's still this sort of, um, but you've made a bunch of uh, terrific martial arts films, a lot of them starring Scott Atkins, who is, is like um, a movie star in another dimension almost. It's like, I love yeah. going, you know, I love you, you're talking to friends and someone starts talking about a good Scott Atkins movie. And you're like, oh, okay. You're, you know, like, 
And right. there's this whole other world that's just going, who, what, where? But these films, um, you have a bit of a budget. You're not, I mean, you're certainly, you have some, you certainly do the most with them, but they're beautifully directed. Um, great, Thank great you. action scenes. The stories hold together. They're really entertaining. And uh, we're always kind of fascinated here about, uh, with the subject of how, people come to movies anymore. And before we jump into the stuff that made you, I just, I'm just curious, how do, how do people come to your movies? Cause obviously they do. Well, it's, it's you know, I'll talk about the Scott ones because you mentioned that it's a, it's a very, it's sort of sad in, in many ways because Scott is English mm -hmm. and the two of us have very sim similar age, similar interests in movies, but his market is non-English. So he walks around London, you know, relatively unrecognized right. around LA. Although when he came to LA, we got, he got recognized a lot when we were together, but but a lot less than you know a movie star yeah. usually would. Uh, but I bet there are places. But you go to yes. the Far East, you go to the Middle East, you right. go to Russia, and and he's a he's an icon. I mean, it's really yeah. of, of a religious standing because of this character that he played called Boyka. You know the uh, undisputed sequels that he, yeah, right. he's made yeah, two or three of yeah. those. Not yep. the first one, but right. the, the second, third, and fourth. If uh, and and they're just enormously enormously popular, and these people are convinced. The, the Middle Eastern guys are convinced he's Middle Eastern. The Russians are convinced he's Russian. None of them think he's English. I um, was very surprised uh, to find out he was English. When he started working with me, and, and yeah. you know, I, I obviously prefer the English accent because it's, it gives us less work and we can, we can improvise and there's yeah. certain ways of working with, with, with certain guys and, and uh, you try to have them thinking about as little as possible but, but what they're doing. So I you know, prefer them to go to their, their you know, actual accent. We were getting really rude comments saying, "Why have I made him speak in this awful English accent?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know he should you know he's a proud Kazakh, <laughs> which is you know which is pretty wonderful, really. And yeah. it's sort of a, as you say, it's a it's it's a phenomenon of of our time. You know this amazing reach we have. Yeah, that you can become a huge star there and and be you know. But we're working on it. We're working on making him a little bit more of a name here and pushing you know pushing to get the scripts a little better and yeah. just putting it. I put my heart and soul into each one of these ones and try to try to make it what I can, uh, and hopefully, hopefully there'll be some kind of a movement. But as to who goes to see them, it's uh, you know, I I don't know. <laughs> it's it's very tough, but it's it's a very it's a very passionate audience. I'll say that you know, and I have to be very careful with them. The certain things I can do, and I I get told you know I get oh, really? informed that I've 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 t taken a misstep with him. Oh, uh, what's what's a transgression? That, uh, tr transgression is too much dialogue. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, not kicking enough, not doing enough martial arts. You know, these guys are aficionados. At least they're they're, they're masters of the internet world of martial arts. I don't think right. they can actually do martial arts in reality. <laughs> but uh, but if I if I do something or you know I, I I hear about this, it's it's quite interesting. I I you know, ignore it or you do it or whatever. I find it all quite amusing, really, and just keep trying to push and make make these films as good as I can. Films that I'd enjoy going to see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, definitely there are films I enjoy seeing, so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, you want to come in and talk about some of the filmmakers who had sort of inspired Absolutely. you along the way Absolutely. and some of the stuff that uh, uh, kind of, I guess, made you. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's always the obvious ones, but I tried to do something a little, you know, think a little harder about who it was and, and particularly American American movies because we can go crazy with the Korean films, with the Chinese ones that right. I liked. and. There's just, you know, Masaki Kobayashi, these pictures from Japan, which I adore, but, you know, you're getting into really deep film area there. And honestly, my knowledge of what went on behind the scenes on those is, is fairly rudimentary. The, the, I did write a letter to him when I first got out here, when I saw The Human Condition, which I think they're mm. showing at the, the Egyptian at the moment, or they were, 
I, I, all seven and a half hours of it <laughs> knocked me out. So I wrote the guy a letter via the Japanese Guild of Directors and oh, I was wow. informed I'd missed him by two months, which was really, really upsetting. But I've tried to keep it American. So we've got... Is this stuff that you grew up on or kind of discovered later? Some, or was well, I, I, was, I was a school dropout. Of it, so, so all of this came later. I started as a PA and, and then realized, oh my God, this is the most incredible work in the world. You know? mm -hmm. And I was very lucky. Uh, I sort of bumbled my way into coming to the States and then you know, and, and worked on some very good pictures here and managed to watch some really, really phenomenal filmmakers work. And I came from sort of artistic family anyway and, 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 and realized that this is, this is something really rather special. It's almost like a, a form of, you know, uh, alchemy, you know, and, and so started research. I think Peckinpah was the first one where I realized there was a, this, this struggling, uh, pained voice behind these movies. And it yeah. wasn't what I'd expected at all. And I started reading and reading. I don't know if you've read many of the Peckinpah biographies, it's six, just, six or eight just, of them. Out yeah, there. Um, I mean, you're in tears by the end of it because he's just throwing everything away. He's yeah. drugs and drink and all of his friends cleaned up their act. Uh, or and, died. And, or died, yeah. and he was the last one that just kept going. And you and you see this in his movies, in his personal movies, not you know Convoy, <laughs> the, you know, and Austin and Weekend, sort of Killer Elite. I'm, I feel less, but but he made personal movies when he could, yeah. and he put this this angst and this panic, this fear. Well, there's still I even argue Killer Elite uh, has, you know, has some of that. Has it a little bit, not to, yeah. the, not to the, not the usual extent. The degree of no, but there is still yeah. that, like, no. my friend fucked me over thing. And this, this feeling of struggling against cynicism where just you just want to throw in the towel, but you know what? I'm going to keep going. And Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia is a messy movie. It's a choppy movie. There's it's just shots in it. You know, it's beautiful, you know, that are odd and... and but there's something so personal and so yeah. powerful about it that you're just you're what you can't take your eyes off this this thing and and I I put it aside and thought it's just a strange thing and then you go back to it and you go back to it and then you and then because of you know joy of you know online community you find out other people love yeah. it and, and it's it's it strikes a resonant note with them as well and uh, it's it's a biography it's Peckinpah making movies you know ostensibly it's Warren notes with a, a head, head in a bag, in bag that he's yeah. trying to sell for a million dollars but you guys are both filmmakers that's us <laughs> yeah exactly that's us out there and you're struggling and you've got the project going and then someone else steals it away and it's got flies flying all around it and and it's him making a bloody movie and 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 I can I now then it became something special to me and it's like I watch it over and over and you see everything in there. and I, I doubt it was anything that he put in there on purpose because he wasn't that sort of a filmmaker. It was very much poetry for him. It wasn't message. You know, he wasn't trying to tell anyone a message and he'd, he'd, he'd punch you or throw a knife at you. I'm right. sure if you, but he completely, I mean, that, of course he did. Absolutely. Totally relates yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. It, and uh, it's wonderful. like him and sounds like him. And, and he loses wives. Yeah. You know, she gets raped, almost raped and then murdered. And it's just, and, and everything is everything. He loses everything except for the pack with the head in it. Right. <laughs> and that's what we do when we're making movies. You throw everything to the wind and it's, it takes over you know, your entire life. Just I, to come home with a moldy head. We talked a little bit about Jean-Pierre Melville earlier. And, and when he used to write a script, he, he'd hammer 
three-quarter inch wood up on the windows of his house. He'd have a house in the countryside outside of Paris where he went away. He put, put wood on the windows from the inside and, and closed the door until the script was finished. And, and I understand yeah. this. That's, that's the creepy thing. I completely get that. I wouldn't do that. He didn't turn off his Wi-Fi, though, did he? I did, I did. <laughs> that would be that's that's a bridge too far. I, I, think, I think he had no telephone. I think there was something mentioned God. about there not being, which would have been, you know, the 60s or 70s would have been the equivalent. Uh, but the, on this, the, the criterion, Circular Rouge, he talks about this process and it's like, I get it 100%. And it's a painful, it. utterly unglamorous, bloodthirsty, mercenary job. <laughs> but through it all, you're desperately trying to keep this hope of this sort of sliver of humanity, which is what I loved about, you know, bring me the head of Alfredo yeah. Garcia and the poor guy has to sell an action movie. So he puts the action in and it's almost, and he, he has to put the slow motion in. You can feel it's, it's, in there because it's what he's expected to do to get the film sold as, as I I'm very familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it I, is, I, it's a weirdly man. I mean, I, I love it. I showed it. I guess there was a new British Blu-ray that came out last year. And I oh, showed, shit, I'll yeah. show something to a bunch of people on my birthday. And, and it was so divisive. I sort of assumed, well, you know, if I can pause divisive, but I mean, if I show you straw dogs, I know a lot of people are going to be upset because straw dogs is right. a disturbing film. Yeah. And Alfredo Garcia isn't disturbing, but it's just, but it just made them well, angry. No, I think it has its disturbing. <laughs> made elements. by an angry, angry artist. Yeah. And this is sometimes the most yeah. powerful kind of art, isn't it? You know, painters, yeah. writers, yeah. someone truly brooding inside, just uh, yes. this phenomenal sense of, I think Kirk Douglas had it as well. They said he was too, he, he used to complain and say, producers said he was too angry. And I think it's something you can feel. You feel, mm. you know, you feel a person's energy to a degree. That's yeah, absolutely. And uh, I like that. I like yeah. that. I, I think it's rather, <laughs> rather incredible, you know. And, and we're all, you know, these films that we're talking about are films that stay with you when you <clears> walk <throat> out of the theatre. And that's what, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's ultimately what it is. We want to make movies that make money and everyone wants to do that and you desperately want to do that. And that keeps you working. But if there's, there's something there that, that, that just hangs with people, then you've, you've succeeded on some level, I think. Yeah, it's I don't think anybody tough, who hated it? Alfredo Garcia forgot it. No, you know, it no, exactly. It does stay with you. If they manage to take it all the way through the end and yeah. sort of go with it. But if you're expecting The Wild Bunch Part 2, you're going to be thoroughly disappointed. Yeah. You know, because it isn't. It isn't that film at all. That was made when he was at the height, and we all love that movie, and it's, it's poetic. It's a different kind of savagery. But 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 it, you, you feel the frustration in Alfredo Garcia. Yeah. And I think, I think that was something that resonated very, very heavily with me. And I was a... PA on Mr. Holland's. It was. It dragged through the three in a row that were big. I was always called in for doing these big crowd pictures. So I went from Shawshank Redemption in Ohio to uh, the Birdcage with all the three, four hundred sort of transvestites dancing to uh, Mr. Holland's Opus, which was all these school kids, and they liked it because I directed the background. I got very mm. passionate about making sure it looked good, and I was cheap, <laughs> and would drive out and work as a local, which you know you had to hide from the DGA each time. Uh, and and I was reading these books on Peckinpah. So, yeah, I think, think that was when it sort of the coin dropped. Uh, so he would be the first one on the list. And that's, the, you know. That, yeah, well, that's, that's a hell of a place to start. Yeah. Have you, have you seen, um, um, oh, my God, what's the Iron Cross? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's the one nobody ever talks about, Iron Cross. That's because no one's seen it. There's a nice Blu-ray. I, I know, but it's, it's not wasn't, even it wasn't popular when it was new. Yeah. No, and it came in his a, period when people had sort of written him off. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's it, it's very good. 
Have you ever, when you're writing, you go onto something, you know, you go onto famous quotes, military quotes, and oh, there's a few there, some, you know, Kessel Ring and all these different people. And I, and unfortunately, I've done that a lot of times because you're just trying to find something and you right. want someone to say something, sound like they're an intelligent officer or, or you know, dozens of scripts, you know. And then you, when you watch Iron Cross, you know that they had a quote book because there's this one awful scene where they're throwing quotes backwards and forwards with each other, uh -huh. and it's clear that it was it was a and it and it lasts about five or ten minutes. But they're it's, all real quotes. That it's no, it's just are, really really corny. <laughs> <laughs> but the film itself is fantastic, and Coburn is 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 brilliant in that yeah. role. And, uh, it's yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a very interesting picture. Uh, and so and it ties into those personal things. Of yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's less personal for me than Alfredo Garcia. Oh, yeah, you you can yeah. you know, but you can feel the manicness as well in yeah. that. Uh, but uh, some very interesting things happening in it. But it's it it's a tricky one, isn't it? When you see a picture that was flawed, and and you know that he fought with the in the edit right. room, and he fought. Well, he always with these fought. Guys. He had to yeah. fight with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the stories are just awesome, but but. And it, it's good and it's bad for an up-and-coming filmmaker to be obsessed with someone like Peckinpah. If you're reading his biographies and think there's anything to learn there about <laughs> dealing with producers, you're Just going to have to opposite. unlearn everything you're because literally you will never be hard again. Yeah. You won't even get to the point where you need to direct your film because you'll be fighting over the script. And, I, and that was a little confusing for me. I, I, I had to realize this is basically, as you say, a plan for what not to do yeah. as a... As a <laughs> a struggling director who's attempting to get his film made. And it took a little bit for me to work that one out. And then the second part was to be a maverick filmmaker, to be a maverick storyteller, I'm sorry, to tell the kind of stories that have these poignant dead endings that leave the audience perplexed. It's a very problem. It's a very risky way of making a living. And I, on my first three films, the lead character died and I'd stand outside during the screenings and the crowd would come out. They'd be on a downer. <laughs> you did like, what have I done wrong? Oh my god! And you realise this is really, really not not necessarily the best way to go about starting a career. And I was, I've always been extraordinarily lucky about getting movies made, and and so I was lucky enough to get back in there. But I don't think it was because people felt good after seeing the pictures. And, and I think you have to be very careful. You know, there was a period in filmmaking where that sort of downer ending really worked. Yeah. It was really. Yeah. It was, and we've, you know, Electric Light and Blue, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and all these fantastic pictures with a car, yeah. or, you know, Easy Rider, where, the, you know, you've, you've bought into these wonderful characters. And, and then, then we they kill them out. in the last minute. Yeah. I just don't think people, you know, with, with cinema being so expensive and people have got to get off their butt to go see a movie, they don't want to be left in this state of sort of, I, I don't know, it's a tricky question. What do you guys think? I just remember seeing Failsafe and uh, the, I was on the line to go in and people were coming out. And people said, how is it? And they just walked like zombies. <laughs> because, it's, you know, everybody really dies. Tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's really tough. I think on my third one, I said, okay, that's it. No more lead, lead character dying. I'm not going to do it. Well, I think depending on the genre, yeah, I think for sort yeah. of, uh, you know, for action movies, it's probably advisable not to bump them off Yeah, uh, in the end. No, but, totally. uh, but just going back to the peck and pie inspiration yeah. and using him as your... as your Yeah, a lot test. of this. What's amazing to me is always you read about just any incident of his and realizing that he still got to work afterwards, you know, and come staggering into a well, screening. he survived being fired well, off of uh, the Cincinnati kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. And which, I mean, he, but, which he was making in black and white. But he's doing stuff, you know, he's going into screening rooms and pissing on the screen drunk and telling the executives to fuck off. I and think, he's banned for six months and then they hire him back for Convoy I, or something. I, I think it's, when you make a film like Ride the High Country <clears> followed by 
you know, uh, Royal Bunch, Major Dundee. They're such iconic films. Yeah. People look over a certain map for the next decade or so. But by the end of, by the 80s, yeah. it was... But by the time he was done with Major Dundee, it was already it was a legendary work. feud. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the picture is not really the movie that he wanted at all, to be. At all. All that, plus he hated the music score. Yeah. And if you hate a Mitch Miller score, believe me, that's, that, that sticks with you. <laughs> such a... Such a Awesome picture, though. <laughs> even even with well, the there, there, it's been it's been somewhat reconstituted, uh, yeah, much to its uh, credit. Is it better? I haven't seen. Oh that. yeah, much better. Uh, okay, but I mean, by the eighties, he was doing second unit on Jinxed with Don Siegel and John yeah. Lennon, and, uh, uh, Julian Lennon music. And it's, they directed you know, it's the yeah, I remember. Very 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 <clears throat> tough, you know. Yeah, brutal, you know, brutal sort of. But but as you say, he was he lived off an incredible, you know, he had an incredible run for a little while there where most people wouldn't be rehired, but. You know, that's Hollywood. And, and, he, and he was a poet. He was. A, and I yeah. think if you met him, I, I've watched a lot of the interviews. He certainly had a, a charisma. You know, I've worked with a lot of crew members who so sort of sort them out as we do. You know, so tell me, tell me some anecdotes, yeah. to, you know, share a, share a few stories. And he was very charismatic, you know, very seductive. I mean, he had a temper that, that was, you know, something he else. He used to together. fire people all the time. And then rehire them and <laughs> yeah. fire them. Yeah. Very very interesting cat, but yeah, as we as we I think we can all agree, it's definitely not the manual for an up and coming director to learn. There from, are no lessons. Read about to, <laughs> to love, to watch, yeah. to enjoy, to to take what you can from the method of you know the storytelling as a as a finished yeah. the way he went about. You know, it's it, that, the, those kind of filmmakers have vanished. I think I don't think you can. You know, no, I don't think you can do it anymore. No, you there'd be. <laughs> Deadline. The industry doesn't on. support that kind yes. of thing anymore. And, and in many ways, that's good. Although, you know, we, there's something to be said for the way they used to make movies. You know, you'd go off on a, in a tent and you'd be gone for a year and people would be married and divorced and children would be born and then you'd come back with this movie. And, <laughs> you know, things are, things are you know, it's a, a lot more like a normal job now. You know? Yeah. Yes. A lot more high visibility too. One of, one of the last pictures I did in, 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 in stunts, it was uh, Beowulf and it was, you know, it's all shot in a 35 by 35 foot green mm, yeah, capture the, space yes. and and and, and Zemeckis is fantastic he's a wonderful wonderful filmmaker and a director and a storyteller but but i i stood there and i thought if this is filmmaking i'm in the wrong game because i'm just not an indoory person you know <laughs> nine to five and in rush hour i did right. I, I, i've i've destroyed my health and my money and my you know family life to make movies in, in America, not to go to work and rush out traffic. <laughs> so it was, it was a strange, it was a strange thing. I do. I think there is a still, you know, a sense of adventure and camaraderie when you go off and make a picture. Anyway, that's just me. Yeah. yeah. We are, we are, I we agree. are drifting off course. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what do. we do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Robert Aldrich is my next name with Kiss Me Deadly, oh. which was a picture that just knocked my feet yeah. out from underneath me when I saw it. I, I didn't know about it. And I think I was drawn to it either because of the title or uh, uh, I think I've seen something with Ralph Mika before this. And he's a really interesting actor, you know, tough, yeah. nasty little bastard, you know, and, and really sort of compelling and uh, which is a very tough thing to do to play, to play an anti-hero is, yeah. is one of, it's one of the most difficult things well, to do. You end up just being an anti, too. you know, yeah. a bad guy, you know, it's, it's, you know, and the guys that do it well, we know them all, you know, but, but Ralph Meeker for some reason never capitalized on it. And, and he plays the archetypal anti-hero in this picture. He is horrible. Yeah. 
horrible, but you love him. You absolutely love him. And, and in many ways, he's like Brad Pitt's character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's clearly an ex-soldier and he'll mm. hit people first and knock them hard, knows how to do it, knows how, how to intimidate. When <laughs> wonderful scene where the two heavies uh, try to intimidate him and uh, he knocks one of them out cold and the other one, his eyes just bulge out of his head and they run out. Yes, yeah. it's brilliant, brilliant. I'd love to do a scene like that at some point. I'll probably steal it. Uh, but, but everything about it felt... It's in 1955 it was made, but it, but it felt so contemporary. And I think I would have seen it somewhere in the late 90s or 2000s. And it felt like a movie that the dialogue was was authentic. Yeah. And now, and Plus absolutely timeless. Plus he's got timeless. an answering machine. An answering machine? That's, that's <laughs> true. I remember that. Is that the Is first? It, it's got big tape rolls on. It's a giant tape roll of the wall <laughs> that uh, I, I, answers I, I his telephone. I don't understand in 55, you know, because yeah. his, his assistant, she actually sleeps with... The married men, and that's mm. how that's how he gets, you know, blackmail leverage on them. And right. she admits, so how are they getting away with all this? And they beat. I watched it again. They beat round the bush and don't yeah. quite mention what's going on. But I mean, it's so obvious what's going on. Yeah. And, and even the <laughs> cops say you're just despicable. You're the yeah. <laughs> you know, ambulance chasing, and, and and but you love him. You're still there for him. And and this is the you know this is what we want to watch in a movie. This is as a filmmaker. How do they do that? How do we? How is he keeping our sympathy all the way through the end? And, and it's to do with his charisma, to do with the I think yeah, a lot of it's just the actors, and, and yeah, and the other actors are absolutely despicable as well. You know, truly despicable, yeah. pulling people's teeth out and torturing the girl with a pair of pliers, and you know, which we don't see. We just see the pliers and the and screaming. But but I mean, a, a really really interesting picture to watch with so much going on. And obviously, we've got the briefcase with the with the glow in the great. What's it? Which, yeah. we, which we've seen in, which, was, which was, we've was, seen again. It was yeah. so, because um, I remember, you know, I, I read a lot of kind of Pulp Fiction. Again, I read Doc Savage. I read all, you know, and Travis McGee and Spencer. And I remember thinking. You, you read know, Mickey Spillane? Well, then it's like somewhere, like somewhere in there, you go to Mickey Spillane because he's in it. Of course, yeah. One Raymond Chandler. books in there. They're just like, you just don't, it's, it's the thing I love about Kiss Me Deadly is Aldrich didn't like him either. <laughs> Like every other incarnation of Mickey Spillane is made by someone who has affection for the character or something. And the How thing I love about you're that absolutely right. is Aldrich. Yeah. And, and who wrote it? Did he? Um... AI Bezerides. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. So they read this book. They go, yeah. this guy's a piece of shit. Let's make a movie that acknowledges I guess that. Focuses on it. Yeah. You know, and it's almost I guess Spillane a didn't a like contempt, it. It's almost a contempt yeah. for the material. and. Yeah. To be, you know, to be, you know, to hell with it. Let's, let's it, do it. Was he not? Like, Spillane was not a fan. Is that correct? Do you know? Um, I don't know whether he was a fan of it or not, but he ended up eventually playing the character himself. And then he played it himself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, much, not not as good a film. <laughs> yeah, a, a great movie. A just, a just, yeah, just, just for not, and it. the two women in it are so powerful. And and and, and it's funny because. You're thinking, oh, it's Aldrich. He's an action director. You know, a Dirty Dozen, Olzana's right. Yeah. All these incredible action movies, which are really brilliant. But he directed those two women beautifully, and I don't. Well, I say that I'm not taking all credit away from them, their ability to do it. But 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 they're beautiful female characters, yeah. and then you realize, you know, who's you know, Baby Jane, and yeah, it's like, well, he, this is something that he did he particularly range. well somehow. And this interview that I saw, you know, last night, it's the first time I've seen him interviewed, and and he was a, clearly a very very eloquent, well spoken, intelligent human being. I mean, definitely not what you would think of as. You know, when you former think of the, assistant director, for an assistant director. So we talk, he talks quite a lot about that. He, he didn't say assistant director. He said it was a. Uh, he said it was it was like being, 
put in hell on a film set and it was not it was not an assistant director it was not it was a uh, production managerial position it was a funny it was a funny term it's not one that we we use currently and he said it was almost impossible to get out of that he was mm. he he was so dejected he hated every second of it and then suddenly he was on a film one year that turned DGA and they didn't normally do that and it wasn't something that was assured or but he got to turn DGA with that particular picture. And it's really interesting because it's, it's been left out of all of these, you know, because there's a couple, you know, uh, who, who, where's Bob Aldrich or who's Bob Aldrich? It's a couple of books written on him that didn't cover that part of his career, which was quite interesting, you know. So he, he wrangled his way and he said once he was there, he never wanted to let go. It was, it was, but I, uh, yeah, I, 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 it was a seismic event seeing that picture for me, you know, yeah. it really was. And the way that they handled, uh, the violence and the bad guys were just ruthless. Uh, it was it was very interesting to me how that and, and the fact that it had managed to translate, you know, from the from the mid fifties, not not even the sixties. Yeah. You're talking you're talking you know awful, bad interior lighting and religious movies. These terrible sort of you know pictures that were made in the. I mean, it's really one of my least favorite. And I'm sorry, you know, if there's any. You know, huge fans of mid fifties movies, but it's the entire era. You just you well, there's a there's a, there's a, ha, there's a handful in there that are that are that are that are fun and worth watching. But it wasn't. It's it's one of my least yeah. least favorite sort of eras. And I think it was it, you had the studio desperately trying to hang on and not letting anyone else in, and and but realizing they had to compete with TV and doing it in all the wrong ways. You know, not right. not not by making better stories, but by trying to make the screen wider or yeah. the color more rich or the sound more loud or. The, you know the cast's more you know sparkling which is you know i get kazan did fantastic pictures in the 50s yeah. and and almost in defiance kept the kept the narrow frame and kept them black and white and made startling films yeah but yeah it was a strange time for for, for picture making but this this one just you know yeah, scuttled by and everything about it is is unconventional do you remember the title sequence yeah it goes backward it's it goes, it, yeah and you're like what What's going on here? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this weird? And it's and it's wonderful. And so straight, literally from the first title being shown, you you realise you're in the company of someone who is is truly you know bucking the system. Yeah. And there's something rather fun about that. I Absolutely. think you get it. I think it it, it, it transcends time because we still copy the. No one changes the titles. We still basically have the same yeah. title sequence they had in. Yeah, that's true. You know, in the twenties. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of you know. A bit, bit, you know, a bit strange, really, isn't it? It's a, it's an odd film. I yeah. I love it. I can't remember. I, I remember just the, the revelation of seeing it the first time. I yeah. think it was yeah. But uh, I don't. I haven't read much Mickey Spillane. But I, yeah. Chandler, I love. You don't need to. And one you of, don't need to read. One, yeah, they're not. They're what, don't need to say they're the same one breath. Of the, the thing I loved about <laughs> the term potboiler was right created for one of the things I loved about Raymond Chandler was how he described Los Angeles yeah. and, and, and would choose places that were real and then add a 10% sort of fantasy to them. Yeah. And what, what this picture does, it shoots in Los Angeles and it shoot and they've chosen these fantastic sort of streets with staircases that yeah. go up. And I think it's down by where the vernacular is and all the sort of stuff downtown. And it would have been little Italy, which was just to the left of Chinatown, but now it's not, not right. anymore. It's something else. Uh, because they had all the Italians and the you know the opera singer and it's and it and I, I saw LA from completely from a completely different perspective and I've been desperately trying to capture that ever since I did two pictures about debt collectors working in Los Angeles and mm. and went back to Kiss Me Deadly to try and see how he'd shot LA in a way that felt different and you you get these sort of strange views because it's very hilly downtown yeah. people don't realize that 
uh, you know, have these sort of odd views, like one of the Joker running down the stairs. Obviously, that's supposed to be Gotham City, but but you, you know, it's, it's always interesting to have lots of ups and downs and parallel, yeah, for sure. you know, no doubt, yeah. and geographical that sort of, Hill kind of. Yeah, and and he he really got that in the pitch, and I, I I like that. It's almost a, I wouldn't say it would be a love letter to LA because it's all the dingiest, nastiest, sort of slummiest places. That's beautiful. But certainly, it's certainly there's a, there's a beauty in that, yeah. isn't there? What's that funny Japanese word that's about beauty oh, and, yeah. in mess? In a, in a, it's a, uh, but you know, about, it, yeah, it, yeah. there's almost that sort of thing to it. And I think, I think it's worth watching. I think every, anyone who's considering getting into the subject matter of an action movie or, or, or a film about tough, tough guys, yeah. you know, tough, yeah. you, know, you know, machismo and, 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 and that sort of thing should definitely, definitely take an evening to watch Kiss and if you're and if you like have you seen uh um la plays itself i haven't amazing it's a documentary. long documentary yeah it's about three hours it'll go by in five minutes you will be knocked out and oh, it's yeah. a just a sort of history of um la as a location in movies right and it's just is it three hours it's about three it's hours about three hours and wow. for, for a long time you couldn't see it because uh they didn't have the rights to anything uh and also all of the all of the stuff in it was sort of doopy yeah. right like Eighth generation, and uh, recently it has been um, reconstituted, um, yeah. and it it's looks it looks right. great now. I mean, they went yep. back to as many original Best. negative kind of things as they could get from these all these clips, and it's it's a clip movie. I mean, there's zillions of clips. Oh, I have to look, and at it's that. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think one of my favorite LA movies is Point Blank. You know the George oh sure Orvich. yeah yeah I, that's it there, right? that's yeah. the phenomenon of the foreigner who yeah. comes to a new town and yeah. sees it from a completely yeah, different place. Yeah, yes. you know, yes. Falling Down is a great LA. Movie it is. Also. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And once, and then have we talked about the the Joseph Losey remake of M. Yes, that's the, some, the real building. Yeah, you know? well, the the or, or Bradbury the, building, the Bradbury best building. use of the Bradbury building you've ever seen. Yeah. And it's. Uh, uh, it's a really good movie, which was really sort of dumped on when it was new, but yeah, because it, it was a remake of a classic. But uh, it's a really good movie. Well, weirdly, every and then there's the Argentinian film, uh, uh, Black Black Vampire Vampiros Negros, is that yeah. which, I, which they've just restored. I haven't seen the new version, uh, which is also a remake of M. It's also great. Just feels like can't go wrong with that story. Can't no. go wrong with M. Apparently, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Such a, such a creepy. It sort of works, isn't it? But I'm also a bit skeptical of all of the bad guys banding together. To yeah, well, yeah, it's, it works in a movie <laughs> if you're showing it to people that have never yeah. been around selfish, horrible bad guys. Who yeah, really... but, then, but then you get that during the war too. You get pictures like all through the night where all the right. gangsters uh, on different yeah. sides all team up against the Nazis. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. It's an appealing fantasy. It is. It is. Yes. And that's the job. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Tell us lies. Give us another one. <laughs> Exactly. So the next one is Raoul Walsh's Roaring Twenties, which is 1939, one of the greatest years yeah. of filmmaking for sure. Uh, this film was sort of another of the masterful sort of pictures that that grabbed me by the back of the head and shook me away. Uh, it's you know it, it's it's just a wonderful epic, you know, and and the guy's motivations are so incredible, and it came from a time. We're going back back further than we have with other pictures when when these scripts were polished, mm. really polished, yeah. and 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 there was enormous care taken over, you know how how the characters were were put on film, and and it's just a wonderful wonderful picture. Raoul Walsh was a very very interesting cat, uh, who's who we've really started learning a lot about now in the last decade or so. There's some great books out on his his life, and he was a. He was a real life, you know, sort of cowboy early on and had done a lot of that sort of 
range work and, and knew from whence he came when dealing with tough guys, which is one of my biggest, biggest peeves is, is if you haven't been around these kind of people and heard how they talk, and I'm not a tough guy at all, uh, but I've been around an awful lot of those people from military through stunts, through various different endeavors and lines of work. And, and, and there's, there's a, there's a way they have of thinking and it's, it's, mm. it's not as clear as, as it always is, you know? And I, I can always tell when people, when their their knowledge is basically other movies yeah, and that's, that's where they're drawing their inspiration from. And it's doesn't, it's not to say it's bad. It's not a bad thing at all. It's, you know, these can be wonderful, entertaining movies, but there's an, there was an authenticness to these pictures that are made mm-hmm. of a certain period where the directors, the writers, and to a degree, the stars, especially immediately after the second world war, when you had all these guys that become actors because of the, the uh, GI bill, were, were, had experienced this incredible life experience that yeah. they were calling on and, and, and sort of, you know, threading into their, their art. Uh, and with Raoul Walsh, you have, you have very much this kind of a persona, a real interesting cat, you know, real, you know, lived life kind of fellow. Uh, and, and you just feel that these characters are based on authentic, you know, stories and anecdotes and, and, you know, it's a wonderful thing, you know, uh, the Bogart character and the Cagney character represent two halves of almost the same, the yin and yang of, of what could, you know, of, mm-hmm. of, 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 of you know, that particular kind of character, the gangster, you know, one of them is just through and through bad. And he truly is bad, Bogart. I mean, he's, a, he's a, but even he can recognize there's something to, to loyalty, to a, to a code. He eventually forgets the code, but, 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 but he has it for a little while. Whereas Cagney, his, his motivation is, it's a lot more complex. He tries to get, you know, after coming back from World War One, he tries to get his old job back and he's humiliated uh, which in real life wouldn't be a bad thing. You go and get the job somewhere else, but it really upsets him. And the way the humiliation happens, uh, and it dry, you know, and piece by piece, he, he's driven into, you know, into crime, and you know, doesn't really like it. Refuses to drink and keeps drinking milk, and and but but they both become, you know, competitive, you know, competitors. And it's right. it's it's just beautifully done. And it's it, it, it you know, and the ending doesn't feel tacked on. A lot of those pictures, as you know, they had the haze code, and so the guy couldn't, yeah. he could not. Survive the movie. Right. He, he, he had to die, you know. Uh, and it would often feel like it sort of been tacked on. But the skill with Raoul Walsh on this one, and, and you know, uh, Wellman with Public Enemy, was that it didn't feel. It felt absolutely organic to the story. Right. There was nowhere right. else this guy could go. Yeah. And no, so it's also got that great line where she says, "The cop says, who was that guy?'" And she says, "He used to be a big shot." Oh. Just one of the greatest, <laughs> greatest <laughs> demises ever on those steps. How many? How, how, how many? It must be thirty steps he takes before he yeah. finally goes down. I mean, you you appreciate the skill and the fact well, that he's a dancer. Like, you know, yeah. he's a dancer. Yeah. just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. And and again, the women characters are so important and so powerful. You've got this really irritating young girl who he shouldn't be in love with, but he is. And, and everyone in the audience is like, "Dude, she's, she's no good for you. What are you doing?" And you have. You know, Gladys George is absolutely wonderful and yeah. never been better and absolutely fantastic and, you know, holds her hand in that scene where he's watching, watching uh, the girls sing and it's like, oh, it's just heartbreaking. And this is, this is now you're investing in your character in a way that, you, that really counts, you know. And then when you have the action sequences, you are, you're with him, you're interested, you're, you're, your heart goes out to him and you feel for him because he's a human being and he's, he, he, he has all these other things going on. Just a really skillful Beautifully made movie, and uh, 
again, probably a tough one to sort of say, oh, that's what I want to <laughs> mimic because you were dealing, you know, they they had everything at their, although I think they used some stock footage in it, didn't they? Uh, they but, pretty much had everything they needed. Yeah, but it, but it was a, it was just a wonderful picture and, and uh, uh, wonderfully acted and beautifully, beautifully, masterfully directed, you know. And he, he had this wonderful period, Raoul Walsh, where he just made some absolutely stunning pictures, you know. Uh, so that's that's definitely one uh, beyond it being being something you know to aspire to. Yeah, I think the lessons are there. If you if you're you know if you're making a film in the action genre, for God's sakes, don't get caught up on the action. Don't get caught up on the car chase. Don't get caught up on the martial arts. Get caught up on the human elements, the character. Story, yeah, because that's you're, stuff. You're going to be able to build that right. later, and it's and and for me, this has always been important. We try to do it with the, with the Scott pitches as much as possible. You know, what's the motivation for this right. guy having to hit this other guy? Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm 47 and I've not hit a guy in the face <laughs> in my life. Not <laughs> not, not out yet. of anger. Not no, yet. <laughs> no, not yet. But uh, but so we still what, have time. But I make films about <laughs> yeah. guys that have to do it at some point. You know, multiple times. What does it take? What is the tripping point where you'll get physical, where you'll do something. And these are things that you have to sit down and think about. And, and someone like Raoul Walsh understood that. He understood the kind of guys you're dealing with. They're not going to hit someone to prove a point. It, it, it'll be, you know, the end of a fuse that's, that's you know, or, or there's a reason for it. And this, this is important stuff. Yeah, Barry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, the, it's, it's the narrative concept, context that gives all of the, the, the action you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's really um, hard. Yeah. We laugh about it all the time because it's like, well, we could just all put our guns down and go into a stance, which is the, the most <laughs> awful kind of thing, you know, but they do it in a lot of movies sure, and, and they still do it in a lot of yeah. movies. You're thinking, you're thinking, what's going on? Neither of these characters would these do that. The, the bad guy certainly wouldn't. And the good guy probably would not. He'd shoot him as soon as he put the gun down, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, they're conventions and the worst thing in the world to do is to start calling on conventions of cinema as opposed to trying to find out what would happen in real life. Right. Or, if you can't meet these guys and sit down and have a drink with them, then read books on their lives, real ones, yeah. you know, not, yeah. not, not watching movies and copying what someone else did. There's, yeah. there's an interest, Alan Clark, have you heard of him? He was an English the director. Musician? Oh, oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Scum. Yeah. yeah I, wonderful I, film. I, I did a very, I mean, it's a forgettable uh, a prison movie. And I, I was, you know, so I watched all of Alan Clark's stuff and, and then I bumped into a stunt man who, you know, from over in England, oh, I work with Alan Clark. He, he uh, would go into a pub in a rough part of London and he'd have a bag of, of you know, of pounds. And this was obviously back in the 70s. And he would uh, say, Any, anyone who's served prison time has an anecdote, has anything, I'll buy him a drink and give him a pound if they can just tell me a story, you know. Fantastic. And he had stunt guys go out and sort of spread yeah. the word and he'd write them down or record them. And, and that was scum. That, that was that was where that came from. It was hundreds of anecdotes wow. from guys that have been to Borstal to prison, and and it, it makes your hair stand on end. He yeah. made the film twice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, almost shot for shot. Except yeah. they didn't. You know, Ray Winston was a was a bit of a star by the second one. He didn't. Want, the second one. And there's there's one of the other main actors got replaced or something. Yeah, it's uh... yeah. It is. It, it's 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 really. Did you ever see his Elephant? Uh, no. Danny no. Boyle was one of the uses on it. It's very interesting. The elephant in the room. And it's, it's, uh, it was about the, the Republican killings in, in Northern Ireland. It's just a succession of, of hits one after another. Mm. There's no story, no narrative. 
although you you start to create that for right, yourself, yeah, which yeah. is one of the sort of Pedovkin sort of theories. Huh? You you start to come up with your own narrative, and it's a strange length. It's like thirty eight minutes or forty two minutes long. Uh, when was, when was it? What year? Would have been or late seventies, I would imagine, early eighties. Oh, okay. Uh, don't think it did particularly well. <laughs> Not in 42 minutes. 42 minutes, <laughs> we would no plot about it. But take a look. It's, it's, it's very interesting. It, 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 he obviously became obsessed with this gathering firsthand information. You know, yeah. I was obviously taking it to the, the nth degree. But when you make these pictures, it's, it's important to have somewhat of a knowledge of, of these sort of cats. And I think Raoul Walsh did. So moving on to, I've got John Ford next, the man who shot Liberty Valance, but I don't feel that he falls really into this particular discussion because it's, you know, you're talking about a master. And well, it, he was somebody who had a life before he was a director. He certainly so. did, yeah. Doubled his brother, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I just wonder if it, it fits into this. But, I mean, I, the film you can watch over and over and over again. Uh, it's it maybe my favorite Ford movie. It's startling, and it's one Liberty of those. Yeah, yeah, that, that or, or maybe the last hurrah. I mean, there's a bunch of other ones you, that are you, great, but Liberty Valance kills me. Did you find, you know, with with you watch these films when you were 14, 15, because they're John Ford and it's John Wayne, good movie. You watch it when you're in your late twenties. You go, oh my god, this is well told. It's a good story. You watch it in your thirties and your forties, and you're like, you're in tears. Yeah, <laughs> because the film suddenly resonated on 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 a level, and it, and it and it's like this. This is absolutely stunning filmmaking. But that's true of all good movies. You know, I mean, you, you, you yeah, see no, them when you're, you're a kid and you get certain things out of them. And then the, the life experiences you have change your view of it's the same movie, yeah. but you're different. And you see things in it that you didn't see before. They were, sure. It's not that they weren't there, yeah. but they, you're, they resonate now and they didn't then. Well, there's things, I mean, just that, I always think of that I mean, such a great film, that, 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 that those shots of John Wayne when he's just tearing his home apart. You know, and I remember as a kid, they just jump out because you don't know what the, it's just weirdly disturbing. You yeah. know, it's like watching your parents, uh, I don't know, do, do something that you've never seen them do. That's not comfortable. And I, I don't know, I can't even describe it. And then you see it as an adult that's just gut wrenching, you know, exactly yeah. what's going on with them, but it's, you have to have gone through some experiences the, to understand I think, how I think the biggest knock for me, was I, I, I've been obsessed because I'd read Scorsese was obsessed with the searchers and all yeah. these other directors and I, who the devil made it, the Bogdanovich. So I was, you know, I watched it. It's a really good movie. Very good. You watch that film after you have children mm. and that scene at the end suddenly takes on a magnificence and a, and a personal emotional, I was absolutely sobbing oh. you know, when, when he grabs her and holds her up and you thought that he was going to kill her. And it's, where did that come from? And where, how did that suddenly how did I not remember that being, you know, it's very interesting, you know, yeah. incredible filmmaker, a, yeah. a poet and, and the ability to weave oh, poetry is too small a word for what he does with Liberty Valance, which is the whole essence of what a legend is and where it came from and what a story is and mm -hmm. what we take for granted and, and what we don't. And he, qu he questions it to the absolute core uh, and it's almost in a mea culpa from perhaps some of the films before that, which, you know, took lots of liberties with, with what, you know, the facts. And I don't know, it's just a wonderful picture yeah, on every it's, level. It's and Lee Marvin, I think it's, yeah. it's so good. You know? Hey, uh, dude. <laughs> and, and it shouldn't work because everybody's too old for their parts. Yeah. Way too old. Way, way too old. But, but it just doesn't matter. The kid. The 50-year-old the, the <laughs> Jimmy Stewart is the, the kid. The kid lawyer, yeah. In his... In his <laughs> At least years, fifty years 40s, old, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, but it worked. <laughs> black and white, black and white helps. Yeah. It definitely it helps. Very, very it definitely helps. 
but uh, brilliant stuff. And Woody Strode is, you know, Absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. You know, uh, very, very, very good picture. Uh, again, there's been so much sort of really, you know, advanced discussion on a film like that that I, I feel scratching the surface here sort of doesn't do it justice. And my my vocabulary and my ability. Probably. Yeah, but it's you know how it strikes you. It's yeah, the, but it was it, it was one that knocked my socks off, and it's yeah. it's you know when you get in, a, you, you guys are very intelligent fellows, but every once in a while I get in a discussion with somewhere I know I'm clearly outclassed intellectually by this person, and you you, you sort of struggle a little bit, but, but then you just say, just be myself and just chat. You you know oftentimes when you're working with an actor or a writer, yeah. and you're like, intimidating, you know, you're like okay, I'm just gonna. Just make sure you don't lie. Make sure you don't fluff it or say yes when you don't mean, don't really understand what he's saying. Just be honest and, and you should be okay. Uh, when you watch a picture like Liberty Balance, you realize you're in the company of a genius filmmaker. Yeah. And it's like, okay, whatever pride, <laughs> whatever <laughs> self-satisfaction you think you have with your last picture because you got a good review in the Hollywood <laughs> Reporter, forget it because yeah, this Liberty is what Balance. real filmmaking is. And... <laughs> You know, I saw, luck, that, so. I saw that picture when it was new, and everybody was disappointed that this the song, the record wasn't wasn't in the, in the wasn't movie, in the movie no. because the record hit, that was it was a big hit record, right? And it it we expected that it would be in the movie, and it wasn't in the movie. It was made to promote the movie, um, and and also it was it was in black and white, and and even then kids would go, what? It's not in color, mm -hmm. um, but and it was it, it made a lot of money, but it. Um, I, th I just think that uh, out of his entire oeuvre, which is pretty impressive, uh, it, it's the one that just seems to sum it all up. I mean, some some people have called it an old man's movie, in the sense that he's really summing up almost all the the tropes of of the, the pictures that he'd made since the silent days. Absolutely. And of course, it's got his the entire cast of his you know his stock company. They're yeah. all there. An old man's movie, but surprisingly sprightly yeah. and and light-footed when you watch it which is what truly skill there's nothing heavy in that film there's yeah. nothing you there's no long bit of monologue you've got you know this it's very light yeah but 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 sucker punches you with its profundity is this the correct term and you know and and you're like oh my lord this is and then you think about it and it's onion layers and and if you watch a skilled artist, you know, and you see just three or four lines, but you realize behind the scenes that was an enormous amount of work that went into the, that, to that, 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 point. that, you know, yeah. that, that pointillism or whatever, but the, but the prep work and the research, and then you realize there are pages and pages and pages of sketches that went into that thing that looks like it was breezily yeah. sketched. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how it feels to me. Something that was, you know, and in, in Ford's case, he didn't do sketches, but you're talking about, probably at that point, 40 years of filmmaking. Didn't need to. Yeah. yeah. Like two, 300 short films in black and white before he ever, you know, it, I mean, it's an incredible body of work. Uh, yeah. Just, just, just <laughs> fantastic, fantastic, fantastic stuff. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, 
Anyway, back to nasty little 70s movies who I adore. Don Siegel, Charlie, ah. Charlie Varick. Ah. Uh, oh, I was going to say one Ford that I just discovered recently, yeah. which I hadn't seen before, was The Three Godfathers. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved it. You know that one? Uh, yeah, I have, I've actually, I'm ashamed to say I've never seen it. But no, I'd read about it, it was, read, was about, read about, about it, read about Lindsay it. Anderson's yeah. book. So I was, you know, really wanted to see it. And it, it was, I think it was at uh, Amoeba. And it's brilliant. It's really, really good. <laughs> and it's, sure. and it's, it's, you know, there's some elements in there that are a wee bit dated because, you know, but, but it's absolutely screaming for, you know, a, you know Oh, really? again. <laughs> Loved it. But it's it, it, it's really, really well done. You know, you take two criminals and then you just dig really deep and find the goodness in, in right. three criminals and you find the goodness in them. God, it was good. And and the, the th is it three strips that they use? Three strip cut. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's really, really gorgeous. Sort of almost too. almost like a little halo around the characters. Is there why why aren't you remaking? It's probably been remade. I mean, at some you point. Can, yeah. yeah. I think it was it. the sixth or the fifth or the sixth Version. imagining of it. Yeah. It when had it been came done out. before. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. As yeah. A song I think and... Ford had done one of them. Yeah. So he was remaking himself, which is something he did more than once. Uh, they all did. Everybody, everybody, everybody remade their that pictures. Long, that you could remake it and people have forgotten the first time you did it. <sighs> yeah. That's a strange. Uh, well, yeah. And then Hitchcock, of course, doing it. Yeah, but if it was if it was a silent, people didn't have any access to it, so that it's as if it didn't exist. Right, it's not right. like today where you can actually go and find these things. Yeah. Um, by the time that picture was remade, nobody remembered the silent. That would be because uh, they, they couldn't see them. I mean, and the person who saw it when it was new might remember, right. but they were kind of getting on, and um, so it didn't. No it wasn't. There's it wasn't. No they weren't known as things. Yeah. So that'll be a fun one for somebody who wants to do their homework, a lot of homework before they come in here and do your. <laughs> ten, 10 favorite movies remade by the filmmakers the who same, originally the made them. Yes. You could uh, probably fill an hour. You could fill 10. <laughs> there, was, there was an interesting thing. I was watching films. a documentary on Rafifi the other day. Uh, and uh, and he, uh, the director called Lewis Milestone. And he had, he had the cut. And he didn't, mm -hmm. know what to, didn't know what he had on his hands. And he's panicking like, like every filmmaker does. It's, oh, God, what have I got? So Lewis Milestone was in Paris at the time. Jules Dassin called him in and said, just, just watch it and tell me what you think. And he watched it and met him in the lobby, held, held his hands. And, and I'm probably paraphrasing, but he said, make this movie for the rest of your life. <laughs> Hitchcock made the same movie over yeah. and over. This is this your is movie. Your movie. <laughs> make uh, this movie for the rest of your life. Yeah. And he said he left. <laughs> and, and that's that because it was, it was the greatest compliment that a director could give another director <laughs> without really, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, which is an interesting thing uh, pertaining to what you were saying about looking for films that most directors who get successful, unless they're, you know, the very rare ones tend to, I, I feel, make, or if they're not remakes, you find the same themes yeah, very, well, very heavily embedded in there, unless they're completely reckless. And, right. And this, yeah. Or I don't know, it's, it's, it's where the auteur theory comes from. So Charlie Varick is your... I, 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 I adore Charlie Varick. Joe doesn't want me going off on the auteur theory. Um, right. Yeah, let's... Uh... <laughs> it, it's... It, there's an interesting... You can make it... Here's another study you can make. Directors that had a huge hit and then had a bit of power and then yeah. went off and made a film that was personal to them <laughs> yeah. that really didn't, you know, didn't resonate with the public. Well, for one reason. Clint Eastwood managed to survive that multiple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know. Well, what did they with Charlie Barrett? Yeah. Barrett's so but commercial. He's done. You what? Dirty Harry. 
Yeah. Enormous, enormous hit. Yep. And does Charlie Varick right. with Walter Matthau. Right you know, yeah. and and it's and and it's really interesting. He again, without being pithy, for me, watching that film as as someone who is desperately making movies, you 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 have an autobiography. You know, this is this is Siegel. The independence. Directing, yeah. making films, getting projects going, one step ahead of the you know, the, the studio, in this case, Molly, you know, uh, Joe Don Baker playing one of the scariest enforcers you've ever, you know, you've yes. ever seen. I've stolen that name for two or three times since then, by the way. <laughs> I think Molly's just an awesome name for, for a heavy. For uh, a heavy, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and getting away with it eventually, but really, you know, really losing everything along the way. And, and you know, it, it, whatever small success he has, coming at the cost of everything that he owns and yeah. everything that holds dear, you know? But he directs uh, the movie. I mean, Charlie does. He directs the whole ending of that film. Yep. It's, it's him prepping and yep. <laughs> rehearsing. And and, <laughs> and and being let down along the way, you know, Andy yeah. Robinson and, and you, know, it's, it's, you know, supposedly, you know, gang members that are on your side and falling apart. And, yeah. But, but ultimately for this one, and it's, it's one of the most brilliant setups ever, and I don't know why it's not done more often, but robbing a bank. Yep. It's a small bank because yep. you only want to rob small banks. <laughs> it ends up that it's the bank that the mob keeps all of its money at. <laughs> so now, you know, now just your life is turned upside down, but yeah. I, it's just a brilliant concept. Yeah, I'm, I'm always, I stole that from my very first uh, movie thing that um, was set in a, it was set in a small bank that all these people were coming to because they know right. it's in the middle of nowhere. And in fact, we shot it, oh, it was in, in, uh, in El Paso, uh, oh, I know it was close to where they shot the getaway, not where they shot right, Charlie Barrett. Right. But but the idea was that they all know that there's this drop, this mob drop coming. I was just like, it's stolen from it's Batum. It's awesome, man. Right. As in you. doing that, I, I noticed, yeah, as you say, how come more people haven't? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's such a great, brilliant little, concept. You know, yeah. It's really good because, you know, you, 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 know, you get him. He's a, he's a criminal, but he he's, doesn't want to hurt anyone. Right. He to keep it really low key. And yeah. Just, get away with it. And, and well, the scene just, where they're counting the money and it's so much more than they thought they would yeah. ever get. Charlie's reaction is, oh, fuck. <laughs> just, just wonderful. Sure, as a kid, that yeah. was the one we just know this is interesting. Something yeah, absolutely love it. And you can't take yeah. your eyes off it. You, no. You're just woven in and you're watching all the way through. But it's not a film that, that is going to rack audiences in. It's a strange thing, isn't it? I feel like, like, but I think you know, more, the big problem was, wasn't it? it's, a, it's a huge favorite of mine. Yeah. Um, that that Mathau didn't promote it, refused to promote oh, really? it. Was a, was a thing. They, they had a huge that. falling out. And I remember reading Siegel's book and Mathau, oh God, he wanted to do bookends. So this would be a great way to open the film where Charlie Varick is driving into a studio lot. Do you know this? Mm -mm. He's driving into the Warner Brothers, I guess. Universal. Universal. And he goes into a studio executive's office and he goes, I'm going to tell you a story and make a great movie. And then they show the film. It's the same premise as ne Never Give a Sucker and Even Break. Well, you can do it with any movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, no. And then at the no. end, the guy goes, I don't believe you. And Charlie leaves. And, but, but, but I don't know why you would think that's a great thing to tack on. You nah. can, and, and then also just the fact that so much of the movie hinges on, is he going to make it to open with him alive going, let me tell you how I, I mean, just everything about it was no, underhanded. No. I mean, you know, it's, it's, perhaps it works in another movie, but this film, yeah, and Don, Don Siegel would never go for something no. like that. And because because he he's didn't, such a, a big... pretty little realist. Everything's, yeah. everything's, you know, everything's And they never worked together. No, oh. no. Yeah, that's, that's. I love that film. So yeah, much. I, I, I adore it. I, I love, is it, uh, Lucian Ballard? Ballard right? mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, you know, really far more sort of 
interesting that it has any right to be, which is what he was. Don yeah. Siegel, that you know, with the killers, it was far better and more violent than yeah. it should have been. And you know, made this guy that you know, by getting these sort of routine assignments and just putting, I don't know what it is, because when you see him interviewed, he's very sort of you know, cut and dry, cut, very cut and dry, yeah. but somehow put this to sort of heart and soul and grittiness and, and you know whether it's working with the actors or quite where it was but it is interesting isn't it you can analyze this well i think he got that contract with universal after uh, the success of dirty harry and he used it to make charlie barrack and he also made the beguiled right yeah which right. was another picture that was i which i loved right. but which obviously yeah. didn't make any money yeah uh and i think over and then he ended up doing Killers, which was essentially made for television, yeah, but it was too violent, and so they released it to theaters. Um, but his, I, I think, from then on, things were a little harder for for Don. Yeah, no. you know, but he did Scared have Coogan's Bluff, sort of which was. anything he, anything he did with Clint, like with Coogan, yeah. Coogan's Bluff, yeah. was a big hit. But but even Clint couldn't bring people in to see The Beguiled. Well, no, now you can no, see that failure. failure coming. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, I love that film to death, but you just sit there going. We really, thought this was going to be really, it. They really. remade it. They I know. just remade it. Yeah. And it's a Me yeah. Too remake. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's such a thing, isn't it? What, what, you know, what, what, is, what is it, the job that we're in? The, you know, and you can analyze this. You know, I, I think of my sort of career at this point in two stages. The first stage as a director, the first decade or what it was, was desperate to make these kind of pictures that we're talking about, these maverick, not with the exception of Warring Twenties. The, the other ones, which were, were dirty, gritty, you know, love letters. I, you know, I, I, I had this, you know, idea that I'd only be able to get budgets of a certain level. So, God damn it, I'm going to make films that resonate and, and I, you know, I'm going to, you know, shock people. I'm going to do what I can. And, I'm, you know, and, 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 you know, is, is, that, is that a valid career? It doesn't pay very well. <laughs> and then, then, you, then you start to think about these other directors who we haven't heard of so much, you know, the Raoul Walsh's, the Michael Curtises, these, you know, the Sam Woods, the, the, you know, these guys that made these bigger pictures that did very, very good business. They were very well written. They were chaotic shoots oftentimes, but, they, but the films were a, uh, they were a business. They made enormous amounts of money. You know, and no, you know, by today's standards, even, and 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 this is the other kind of movie, and it's very tempting as a novice filmmaker to sort of poo-poo those ones and say, no, those were those were made by whole committees, and it was huge. You know, right. the, yeah, but let's love the auteur. When in actual fact, these guys were, re you know, and so the second half of my career has been trying to say, this is what I want to do now. This is, you know, making. Oh, now you want to make Casablanca bigger pitch? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Curtis yeah. uh, is another one. Not necessarily, you know, it's a difficult one to look at and say, this is who I want to be because, again, you you read about Curtis the you man. You speak English much better. Yeah, yes. you, you read about Curtis the man, and then you look at the movies, and you can't put the two together. Yeah. This screaming, uh, <laughs> bring on the empty know, horses, misogynistic. <laughs> Uh, uh, Did you read the book? Yeah, very the it, one that just came out. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really good, wonderful. It, it, it's it, uh, made this is what you know a lot of lot, lot of cause of all of this. But you know, how did these incredible films and and even some of the people that perplexed some of them? You know, the, you know, the people that worked with them were as confused about how how good they were. Right, how, yeah. I think Errol Flynn hate, hated him, but would get the call and say, okay, yeah, go back. They'll be good. You know? Yeah. Great movies. You know, Olivia de Havilland, I don't think cared much for him either. But, <laughs> and it's 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 really really interesting, but but yes. So Se Siegel represents the other part of the the, the Maverick, yeah. the, the, and and he got extraordinarily lucky with his 
well, lucky, I don't think that's the right word at all, but he was fortunate enough to have uh, an ability to come back from failure because of yeah. his collaboration with Clint. Well, Clint, that helped. Yeah. But yeah. that was during the latter half of his yeah. career. I mean, the whole first half of his career was, you know, in the 50s, he was yeah. doing Ride Cell Block 11, Love. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. I mean, these were excellent examples really, of what really you could pictures. do with not yeah. much money. Even Flaming Star is really good. I think it's the best Elvis picture, but I, I, I know I will get... Yeah. I like King Creole better. Yeah. But, uh, King, but King Flaming Star yeah. is fine. But uh, Michael Curtis. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I, I adore Siegel and Charlie Varick and yeah. you know, I love the shootist as well. Yeah. Really, yeah. really, in, you know, great. Well, that's one to go back to what you were saying. I remember seeing that as a kid and just being bored shitless as a child by the shootist, which you would be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you go back a few years later. Yeah, I was a strange kid. I kind of like that one. There's something you, about it that that that's mortality, perhaps. Yeah, he reminded me a bit of my grandfather, and it was some, something about it that that did. Anyway, that they clicked. I, don't, I yeah. just want to see bullets. No, you're right. You're right. You're, you're actually at, at that age. No, you're 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 totally right. You're but, absolutely right. Uh, but it was it was interesting to see sort of people you recognized in there as well. Yeah, like Jimmy yeah. Stewart, Lauren McCall, sort of. But so it, it is such a great film. Yeah. Now, now that now that I'm you know aware of mortality, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and think about it from time, it's not to time. butting right up against it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it, a really interesting filmmaker and one that that I think and and you know was extraordinarily important in my learning. Still is, you know, to yeah. read about that and go yeah. back to Don Siegel pictures, to go back to them, to watch them, to to you know even Rough Cut and those those sort of. Uh, you know, he took over that one or was taken yeah. over from him. Or, jinxed. Yeah. A love for jinxed in there. Well, yeah. Talk about an unpleasant shoot. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we it, don't. <laughs> you know, interesting guy. And, you know, yeah. two Oscars for his short films. And then I think he was like, a, he directed the, and the they, montage director. Montage director for Capra and all these things. The newspapers right, that would come yeah, in yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, he which, was that guy, yes. They don't yeah. use anymore. They should use that, shouldn't they? <laughs> they don't mean more newspapers. No. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a spinning lap. Hard to make that YouTube <laughs> channel look like yeah. it's spinning. Yeah. <laughs> Crowd scenes and, and all that sort it's of thing. Like a spinning laptop. <laughs> Uh, and I think he was very good. He had a good reputation for doing that. And I think there was some hesitancy to let him direct because he was so good with doing with the montage yeah, units. Want to lose him. Who are we going to get yeah. to replace him? Which is, <laughs> yeah. Which is rather, rather brilliant. So yeah. he's there. And then we get into Michael Curtis for real. And, and the film of his that I chose was Santa Fe Trail. Um, oh, well, okay. Because, again. The domain one. Oh, is it? <laughs> is it? Oh, it is? Oh, yeah, it, was, it used to be very hard to find a decent print of that because it was. Oh, really? Is there a... It was all public domain. It was all dupes all over town. Um, but it's it's John Brown, and uh, it's it's a pretty good movie. I, I, it, I it's not seen it. it's a say, really really interesting picture. There's a couple of pictures I watched just recently that cover this really complex political stuff. <laughs> they do it really really this well. Is also seven? Is it seven? Seven men? Because because. Uh, Raymond, uh, Raymond Massey played John Brown in right. two pictures. Oh, really? Yeah, that first Santa Fe Trail. Right. And then in the 50s was a Fox picture. He's very good. With Jeffrey Hunter, and I can't really, remember the yeah. title. There's no it. bad guys in it. That's, you know, John Brown doesn't play a bad guy. He, 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 he you, believes in what he's doing. You absolutely believe him by the end of it, mm. and you, you're totally in, into it. And he's as confused as anyone else is about why it hasn't quite gone the way he did go, which, which you know, uh, just really even-handed directing. And, and, and you have a... You know, it's it's pre-Civil War, just obviously John Brown. And so you have guys coming from, I think it's the, the West Point, right? And you have Custer. Custer. Mm -hmm. 
and Jeb Stewart, who were obviously, you know, north and south together. And they have this dialogue going because they're trying to get the girl through the whole thing, fighting for the same, you know, sort of trying to impress her. Uh, but it's, it, and, and you, you think about this and you're like, do, does, does he realize the subtext? And you realize he probably did. Uh, oh, the two. He didn't. The actors must have understood the subtext uh -huh. of what was going on here. This battle for the girl, and who was, and and, and there's even, a, 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 and it's not strained at all. It's towards the end where he says, "Your compass is always going to be pointing north. You're going to do all right. You know, mine is a little different. You know, uh, and you know, I and and they have this strange conversation about like the civil war. No, it's about the civil war. <laughs> uh, yeah, very yeah. good. As, as and without obviously mentioning anything to the slavery at all, which yeah. is. Well, yeah, yeah, it'd be very difficult to, to do now, and sort of, but yeah. but somehow he manages this very delicate, delicate bit of bit of dialogue and a mm -hmm. scene, and and they cover, you know, he covers very uh, without taking sides, very very interestingly, how one group of people would feel so passionate about the South and the other other about what they're doing, you know, right. and it, and it's absolutely beautifully done, and I watched, I I rewound it. <laughs> Or, or zap back, you know, whatever the term is, and, and watched it a couple of times. They, he just he just covered possibly one of the most complex eras in in, in American history, and did it did it in two mm. and a half minutes of sort of rather beautiful dialogue, you know, <laughs> without without making one feel any worse right. than the other. And it's it's really really a fascinating fascinating film. And then you have of course the John Brown story, which is as as interesting as well. This this guy who was hoping to get the support of all of the slaves coming together and they didn't, you know, it was they didn't turn up to fight. Right. Uh and he's but he knows it will happen. He knows it will take place. It's it's a beautifully, beautifully made film that like we're talking about, you can watch as a kid and get the action scenes and, right. and the action, by the way, is really good. And I I I don't know, what year was this? It was 1940, but we've got gunshots going off with the guy getting hit in the shot, which I'd mm. always thought wasn't allowed by the Hays Code. I thought you had to have the yeah, gunfire and the guy, but you've got over the shoulder sort of, maybe they've managed to sort of sneak it in because it's a historical epic or something, it's a war but it's film or something. really interesting action. <sighs> probably not Curtis, of course, it was probably, although he had a great reputation for being able to do that stuff very well, but a, but a truly fascinating film to watch by today's standards. The other one I was going to, was with the whole world in his arms. Have you seen that one? The world in his arms. Yeah, uh, and and these guys are they're they're seal traders. The what? <laughs> you know, seal traders. Seal pelt traders. And and you and I'm just how are they going to show the scene with the seal pelts? I don't know they're going to go kill them all. And they have this brief bit of dialogue that completely validates it. <laughs> and you don't actually see the seals getting pelted with right. sticks, but you see them walking with all the pelts stacked oh. up. And it's fine, and and you, yeah. it's it's not brushed over, but it's handled in a very interesting way. And these, these are this is really interesting filmmaking. They mm -hmm. don't steer clear of it, but they give their interpretation of it, which right. works for the sake of the story. Very interesting movie. Have you seen that film lately? Pat O'Brien, uh, uh, Gregory Peck. Oh it? yes, of course. Yeah, it's it's Got a rocking movie. Yeah. Holy, that's one for remaking as well. But. Uh, uh, but anyway, back back to back to. Santa I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked that there are Curtis films I haven't seen. I was just looking; he's got oh, those zillions of hundred and seventy. That was credits. that was Raoul. That one. The, the <laughs> oh, 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 his arms. Were, oh, okay, yeah. sorry. Um, but Curtis was very interesting. Know, he you made know? a few movies too. <laughs> yeah, uh, really, really, just an innate sense of dialogue and and how that would work in storytelling, uh, and a love for America. And I think I think Santa Fe Trail is a very complex love letter to America from. Mm a man from 
you know, Hungary who who fell in love with this country. Yeah. And yeah, he was an unpleasant guy and there's all these other stories, but ultimately the work is what we're talking about here, not the personal life or the fact he left all these kids without support and ex-wives. What we're talking about is the work and, and the work that he displays in this, for me, is a profound love letter to the United States, mm. uh, which I understand and I get it. And, and he's saying, I don't care, the Confederates, the Northerners, even, even the, the abolitionists, I, I, I love them all and mm. I'm going to give them all a fair, a fair shot of it yeah, and make this action movie on top of it, you know, with great action scenes. And, and, and this is something that's just, I don't know where I'd start if someone gave it to me. You know, you look at this project, <laughs> the script, you know, how are you going to do this? Obviously the, the script would have been, but although he did a lot of his own writing somehow as well. And he couldn't, his, the, 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 the quotes are hilarious. You know, the, the Miss Malapropisms. <laughs> You know, and yet somehow. Well, I mean, writing in those days was, of course, was yeah. dictating to yeah. someone. Scribbled notes, yeah. make something of this. Yeah. But yes. uh, but really, really interesting. So that's a that's a that's a good one that that is not one that resonated early on with me, but one over the last few years yeah. I've gone back to and looked at and looked at. And you, you you're the more movies you watch, the less you want sort of sim, you know the simplistic stuff is interesting and sort of generic action and you know explosions and things. but then you you become more drawn to how these storytellers manage to pull off these incredible feats of yeah. of nuance you know and they they're making what's an, an action movie ostensibly it was sold if you look at the posters it was an action sure. movie horses sure. and guns firing but so much more yeah you know so much more for your money and this is something that really fascinates me yeah like of course we are spies my london that's... pub fight movie you went <laughs> My London pub fight movie. Exactly, exactly. Well, no, that's got a lot of. Uh, uh, I don't know. That's an interesting film. We're talking about Avengerman. Yeah, um, one of your more recent ones. That's. Uh, um, it's, it's got the the veneer of a sort of modern uh, British crime film. A lot of the same faces, and then it's got this sort of martial arts element, and uh, it's so good with that cast. It, yeah, I, I, Tommy so Thomas Turgoose, who's the little blonde fella from a. Uh, uh, this is Britain. He's phenomenal. Right. He's, that's he's yes. Really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Eyes point either way, and it's very, very funny. Yeah. Comedic timing. We 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 got him at ten thirty p.m. before an eight a.m. Eight. You know that was when we confirmed he was playing the role, and it was and then it was chronological order inside the pub. So he had that. You know, I think it's almost five pages of dialogue. It was really. It was just wonderful, and you know, really, really good. And then Craig Fairbrass, who's this hardcore tough gangster. And his family are, are, are real gangsters, ah. know, which we found, which he doesn't publicize, which we found out when we were filming in Limehouse. Do, do we want to be saying it on our no, show? No, he, doesn't, he won't mind. I, would, I certainly wouldn't say anything that would offend him, believe me. Uh, but a phenomenal actor. And, yep. and you know, then you do research and you realize that he did a soap opera called EastEnders and you're something like oh, know, was your, oh, okay. 50 or 60 episodes. And, right. and these guys got his chops there. Wow. It's so yeah. much fun working with, with, you know, just ready to go. It was great. That's fantastic. Um, well, Jesse, thank you so much uh, for coming in, for for walking us through these movies that uh, which hopefully we're going to get a lot of people to see. Yes, I would love so that. That, that, is, that. That ultimately is the whole idea. Get people to watch these pictures. Go out and you know, yeah, find them. You know, I also have this momentary when somebody brings up a film that I, you know, there's a lot of obscure films come up here, but ones that I should have seen and haven't. Where I go, ooh, and that's like, oh no, now I get to see it. 
So you're going to go out and watch Hamburger the movie? Uh, you're probably not. Um, <laughs> which one's that? That was from Hamburger the movie. Eli Roth came on and he, he did a whole litany about uh, 80s movies that he saw when he was right. growing up. A million up. times on cable. Movies that weren't good, but you saw them but a million times. But you watched times them over and right? friends cable. all talked about them. Cable. Yeah. But they're all, they're all yeah. super obscure yeah. right. now. Um, and I feel no need to. And he, he doesn't feel the need to catch up on it. I've now that. seen trailers for all of those. And that's, that's true, which that's is enough. the same thing. <laughs> which is the same just thing. Just shorter. With Hamburger, the motion picture. You probably don't need to see more than the trailer, I guess. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll search. I mean, I, now, did these no. inspire him to make movies? Or no, it was just, just kind of. Fun, of uh, fun. He made movies despite them. He made, right. yes. Right, right. Just yes. fun, fun yes. conversation. I think they were sort of. Uh, Have you find your motivation is good. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that is certainly true. Look, I mean, any movie that you find yourself watching a hundred times is is something that has some back kind of Isn't impact. It wonderful, even if it's just because it's on HBO again and you have nowhere to go, it's still gonna. Although I think about, it, I don't think I've seen Bustin' Loose. HBO doesn't that stand for Hey Beastmasters? Hey on? Beastmasters <laughs> on the. Uh, I've seen Richard Pryor and Bustin' Loose more than any other movie because right. uh, I worked in a movie theater that summer and. It just played all freaking summer, and I don't think that movie had any impact on me at all. That's <laughs> so. tough. That's really tough. That's really tough. Yes. Yeah. By the way, thank you for coming in. Thanks thank you uh, very, very really much do for having me. It. Yes. Uh, really we'll be back awesome. next week with more. Our show was recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank. The official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.